0: I was looking at the camera that time and suddenly realized there's people as well here. Um, My name is Phil. Hi Phil. Thank you. Um, Very warm welcome to online. Very warm welcome to Battersea. Very warm welcome here in in Balham. Big morning so far, no? So I'll, you know, you guys know me, I'll take it down a notch. We're not talking about much this morning. Um, (laughs) If you've not met me again, my name is Phil. I absolutely love teaching the word, and I'm really looking forward to our time this morning. Um, And this January, we're opening up a a new series across the month entitled "Wake Up." Um, uh, Wake up to the new things that are happening. Um, Viv's going to talk a little more next week about why, particularly, we've chosen that particular um, phrase—something that we feel is coming for the church this year. But I'm going to start this morning with a focus on wake up to the Bible. and I want to frame that to initiate our teaching with a statistic and a quote. Okay. So here's a statistic. Um, in 2017, um, so four or five years ago now, um, a survey was done with a whole load of Christians um, across different denominations. Um, and it asked them how often they read the Bible. And I guess you all know what's really vaguely coming here. Um, but only f- uh, 55% of them said they never read the Bible. And only one in seven read this, said they'd read it more than once a month. So there's a statistic, and here, here's a quote. The um, quote says this Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle torn planet. But you treat it as though it's nothing but a piece of literature. And that quote was from Mahatma Gandhi, the civil rights leader, um, who really admired Jesus' teaching but obviously never became a Christian himself, often because of actually the behavior of Christians themselves. I want to open with those two because that really underlines a disconnect. Someone who didn't even fully commit to the Christian faith saw what we have in this document and the word of God and said, this is dynamite. And yet those of us that call ourselves Christians, many of us don't really read it that often. And that's the disconnect I wanted to frame. And I think this is a truth that we have fallen asleep to what we have in our hands. So we're going to spend time this morning looking particularly at one voice, and that's the voice of Jesus. And what did Jesus say about the Word of God? Um, And we're going to go back to um, a passage in Luke 8 for reasons hopefully will become clear. Um, But I taught in December, some of you might remember, um, and I dropped four limericks, and I got so much good feedback um, that, first of all, I thought, do you remember anything else that maybe we shared about the inspired Word of God? Um, (laughs) uh, Yes, thank you to my friends who know who they are who bought me some Jaffa cakes, you know, seek and you shall find. But I thought, therefore, I'm going to have to, you know, give you another limerick just on the Gospel of Luke. So I think it's going to come up on the screen. (laughs) Um, But I've written it like this. The stories about Jesus were hard to believe in. So a doctor called Luke spoke to those who had seen him. With the longest birth section, the Emmaus Road connection, he proved Jesus' life was one worth recording. So now you don't need to read Luke, (laughs) because there it is. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, if you have them on your phones or, or in physical copy, open them to Luke 8, and we're going to get going. So let's look at some context um, for this chapter and why when I came across this chapter, I really felt like it was a great place for us to, to spend this morning, to look at Jesus' voice on, on the scripture and on his words. So on the screen now, um, just setting the scene is, is the first four verses of, of uh, chapter 8 of Luke. I'm just going to point out a couple of things as we move into it, again, why I picked this. And the first thing we see um, is it says Jesus is going from village to village proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And what does this mean? I think very briefly it means three things that we can see from the scriptures. It means, number one, he was reinterpreting and sharing his understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, as we call them. For example, when he opened a scroll and read Isaiah 61, um, very fashionable for churches to name themselves after that event. Second thing he was doing was giving new teachings about the kingdom of God, what it was like, what it was going to be like. And all of those teachings are the things that we now have recorded in the Gospels. And then the third thing he was doing was demonstrating the good news of the kingdom through his signs and wonders. And then just a quick observation there. Two of those three things are what's in our Bible, the Old Testament and the Gospels. Second thing, just to show you. Therefore, in verse 4, it says... So yes, verse 4, it says um, that Jesus was not sort of a random teaching, but it says that there's a large crowd around him. People are coming and wanting to hear what he was saying, and that's why he kicked into these teachings. So in other words, putting those two pieces of context together, these teachings that Luke has collated, the three we're going to scan through, are directed at those who profess to want to follow Jesus, to hear his teachings, and want to spend time understanding those. And when I read that, I just thought this seems like the perfect time to apply to us on the 9th of January in 20. I've written 2021 here, 2022, as we consider what it might mean again to wake up to the scriptures, to God's word in 2022. And I'm going to draw out three things from these three stories and three teachings: one's about posture, one's about conviction, and one's about application. So the first one in the first story, verses 4 to 15, um, I want to propose it's about posture over practice. Posture over practice. And there's so much in that first story, if we go to the next slide. Um, I'm just going to again draw out a few key things. But the story Jesus tells is he tells a parable, a story, a metaphorical story about a sower who goes out and sows some seed and it falls on various places and only some parts of it bear good fruit. And his disciples ask, what does this mean? And he explains it to them, and he says, well, it means that actually there are certain ways people receive the word of God. And there's only one of those which bears fruit, and that one is the good, noble heart. And my only key observation here this morning is that if you look at the text, that noble, good heart comes before the word has come to them. It pre-exists it. And it also continues and perseveres once that word has come in. And I think what this indicates to us, and you see it throughout the rest of the Bible, is that, um, as you might have gathered, I'm someone who absolutely loves reading my Bible, studying my Bible. Um, But sometimes you look to the Bible, how should I do this? What, What should I do It every morning? Should I do it every day? Should I read it in chunks or verses? The Bible actually has very little to say about that. Um, One thing I'm fascinated by is Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible, 176 verses, 2,542 words, all about the the Hebrew law, the Old Testament. But all but four of those are spoken directly to God. Someone's not speaking about the scripture, it's speaking to God. It's about relationship, it's about posture. So this is the first simple but hopefully helpful point, which is however you might be thinking about engaging with the Bible, however you want to do it in 2022, however you've done it in the past, or maybe thinking about doing it differently, it's far more about the posture you're going to bring to it than it is about when you do it and how you do it. So let me get really practical right now and hopefully give us some ideas of how we might do this, what might be this open and receptive posture and good heart look like. Um, there's a picture on the screen now just of, uh, you don't see the details, but hopefully you can see that's, that's my page, the, the Bible I study from and read from at home on Luke 8. And there are scribbles all over it. And I can't really remember the time when I decided it was okay to take a pen to my Bible. But it's probably one of the best things I did in helping me engage and having a receptive posture. So it's very simply, if you've never given me been given permission before take a pen or pencil to your bible underline put question marks i don't know if you can see on that but there's a big bit in the middle with a massive question mark and also more often than not when i read especially something maybe for the first time or first time um, when i haven't read it for a while i will put a lot of question marks because i don't know what it means but that helps me have that posture of like okay i'm going to try and engage with that at some point maybe So really simple, first thing is is get your pen uh, or or pencil out and find a Bible that you can kind of underline, highlight, question mark. It's really, really helpful in just having that posture. Second thing I want to really offer you and take you through, some of you who have uh, known me for a bit longer know, this is the sort of model that I use um, when I I read the Bible, both personally and to study. Um, I call it the quilt framework. I'm just going to talk it through very briefly with you. Um, And the core of what it is is about this receptive posture. And I think in my life as I I tried to understand how best to read the Bible and how I didn't enjoy doing certain ways of Bible study is that often it was far too simply rational in my head. It was comprehension. It was how can I understand this? And the more I kind of understood um, both my own self, what it means to be human, what it means to be Christian, I realized actually what we need to do is embrace both the gift of our minds but also the gift of our emotions. Um, and therefore, I, I sort of developed this model just for myself, primarily. It had a different acronym to begin with that was slightly more controversial. Um, I changed it. Some of you know what that used to be. Um, but basically, it offers you four frames to look at what you're reading. The first one on the kind of gift of our rationality is what questions arise. The second one, again, and a bit more on that rationale, is what do you notice or interests you that you never saw before? And then into the gift of our emotionality and all this syncs together. It's not one after the other. What do you read that just resonates, that you love? And then finally, what do you read that really gives you trouble, that sticks? You're like, I don't like that. And using that framework is just really helpful, whether you use all four um, or not, or just as a frame, to really engage your whole self in that posture. Are you willing to open all parts of yourself to understanding what that word might mean? So really quickly, let me show you an example of of genuinely how I kind of maybe use this to frame um, a a relatively well-known verse. Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 6, um, when he says at the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things that you need will be given to you as well. And you can see there, um, just very loosely, I realize I haven't got it in my notes, um, my question when I look at that would be like, what does it actually mean to seek the kingdom of God? It's an open question to explore. One thing I find interesting is I maybe never noticed a link there between the kingdom and righteousness. That's a really important link to explore. What do I love about that? I would love reading the promise of God's provision. It might be really important to me right now. And then finally, but not least, I might read that and say, being honest, I don't believe it. I don't believe that God is going to give me everything I need because he hasn't done so in my understanding in the past. And using that kind of holistic framework, again, I think puts you in a posture to actually engage with God and say, this is what's going on as I read this message. So when might you use it? Um, Whenever you want, uh, or when you're on your own um, when in small groups is a really helpful way of understanding and structuring Bible study. Um, when listening on a Sunday morning, if you're taking notes, using something like that as a grid, as, as someone sharing from the front what they're teaching. And then lastly, but not least, I would um, apologize to the rest of the teachers here at Vineyard 61, but demand it of us. Demand that when we teach, we engage you and help you take that posture when we open the scriptures. Um, it's not just about how you individually engage with the word, but those of us um, who take the position of teachers have a responsibility, um, and you can ask that of us, and I would ask you to ask that of us, um, that we would do well to help you take that posture. So that's the first thing, the posture over practice. And then the second story um, that comes immediately after, which I'm going to call Conviction Over Content, Luke 8, 16 to 18. And what I want to show you what I'm doing here is if you read this on its own, it might not make too much sense. But if you read it after the one we've just looked through briefly, I think you can see Jesus is giving a series of teachings all about how we hear the word and understand the word. So how do we understand, really, this is a link teaching? I think when you start it off, it sounds, again, like something that's brand new. But halfway through, Jesus says, therefore, be careful how you listen. He's making a a similar related point about how we listen to the word of God when it comes to us, however it comes to us. I think the light here in Jesus' story is not us. It's not us um, in, in evangelism, whether that metaphor is sometimes used. But this time it's God, it's his word. His word is shining a light out into the world, into our life, to show his will, to show his kingdom and how life operates. And what Jesus says is when you engage with that, nothing is going to be hidden from it. If you think you can come to the Word and hide parts of your life away and keep them separate from God, then you're kidding yourselves. Or if you are, you're reading the Bible half asleep. And I think the key thing here, if we don't want to be challenged, don't try and read the Bible fully awake. I didn't just say don't read the Bible, to be clear. (laughs) Again, if we try and read these texts and only apply them to our Sunday morning or afternoon lives and not our Monday to Saturday lives, then again, we're reading it half asleep. But let me take this deeper because obviously it wasn't deep enough already. Not only do we need to be open to that conviction and that challenge, but we should also expect it. Let me read this powerful quote from um, a Christian spiritual director called Janet Ruffing. She writes that Christians... Frequently move away from God's inbreak into their lives, into our lives, because something about the experience frightens us. This is this something might be the surprise of God's initiation, the intensity of his presence. This is in the context of spiritual direction. So the directee's effective response emotional response, that is, or a perceived threat to our self-image, or a change in the way prayer is experienced, or just that sense of unpleasant or undesirable consequences. I told someone that quote, and they said, yep, that's me, down to a (laughs) T. But I think that was very honest. Because if we're reading the Bible, we're not experiencing that push and pull of our will against God's, then something is amiss. Because our psychological makeup is conditioned to keep a status quo of our lives. That's the truth. What we think, how we live. And it's no different in the Christian life and the spiritual formation process. So to be fully awake to the Bible, to God's word in our lives, is to have to be vulnerable and willing to be challenged and convicted. So what might this look practically? I was kind of thinking about this. Someone asked me this question, and I thought, good question. And I suddenly thought one of them would be when we are studying the Bible, especially maybe in a group, unless we're creating that safe space for people to be vulnerable, to be honest with how they really are reading this passage or whatever it is, then we're likely to be emphasizing content over real conviction. I sort of had this imagination that if at V61 we did Bible studies in small groups and the like where someone could say, hey guys, can we just stop right now? I really want someone to pray for me. I've been really challenged, or maybe even encouraged, whatever it is, but so you can stop in that moment and say, God is speaking to me right now, and I don't want to, I can't either take myself away, whatever it is, but be able to say right there and then, be safe enough to be vulnerable and say, I just need to pause, guys, otherwise this is turning into an intellectual exercise, or I'm shutting down. Just imagine how that would be. And again, I sort of thought about this idea, um, and we often say uh, when we do ministry after services, uh, we're like, we, there's nothing special about the front, and that's 100% true. But one of the special things about coming to the front after our, our Sunday morning services and teachings is the space to be safe and be vulnerable and to share with someone and pray with someone that God really spoke to me or has this week or, or, or that teaching. God's work has spoken to me, and I really want someone to stand with me as I process that and understand that. And it's a really safe, vulnerable place. And the last thing I want to share on this, because I think it's important, is the reality, this conviction is not a religious conviction, meaning you ought to do all these things, and let's cut out all the sins from our lives, because that's what we ought to do. But this conviction, this ability to be challenged, to be convicted, where relevant, it has to be on the basis of our identity as God's beloved. And as we open the Bible together, reminding ourselves of how much God loves us, that we can be safe and vulnerable as we explore what it means to be more and more Christ-like, to live the kingdom, to take God's word and really embed it into our lives. For me personally, one of my uh, spiritual formation um, goals, that sounds very heady, that's not what I mean, but something I'm working on at the moment, for 2022 um, is more and more understanding that I am God's beloved. And that's a conviction that, I think sometimes we think conviction is about sin and something I'm doing sort of behaviorally wrong. But I have to open myself up to vulnerability to look at my self-image and say, why do I struggle to understand that I'm God's beloved? Yeah. That's just as much what I think Jesus is saying here. That light wants to shine on that part of my life. So that's the second thing I think Jesus is teaching in this series of of ideas and teachings about what it might mean to be fully awake to the scripture, being open to conviction and not simply looking for content. So our third point this morning, um, application over something else that begins with A. (laughs) I couldn't land one, and I blame Karen Sturrock one of our teachers here. She always makes everything, like, really, like, rhyme or whatever. And one of my other New Year's convictions is be a bit more Karen Sturrock. I think we can all take that one on board. Um, So, again, in this teaching, I think, again, if we read this on its own, I think it just looks like Jesus is insulting his parents. So what the story says is as a crowd were coming around, Jesus' biological mother and brothers, they come along and say, Jesus, we want to see you. And someone relays that message to Jesus as he's giving this teaching. That Jesus says, those who are my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice and do what it says. And I think this series comes together because Jesus is making his final important point about what it means to be fully awake. What it means to engage with his word, which is to apply it. Um, I really love, um, it's been mentioned already this morning, that we run here something called the School of Kingdom Ministry, or SOCUM. Um, not only because it sounds like a polite word for beating someone up. <laughs> um, I think uh, the same shame Viv's not here, actually, because um, <laughs> she, she actually said one of their working marketing titles for next year is, Do you want to know how to beat the powers of darkness of this world? Just sock'em. <laughs> So look out for that in the advertising later this year. But more seriously, why I really do like Sockham is because it's an example of taking the gospel, taking Jesus' teachings and putting them into practice. It's trial and error. It's learning how to do the things Jesus asked us and called us and empowered us to do for his kingdom. Christian is a doing word. Um, my, My kind of favorite spiritual kind of teacher, Christian author and professor of philosophy, Dallas Willard, he wrote this about Christian belief or belief generally. He said, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it or even when we believe we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it was true. I had that obviously in my mind as, as we were worshiping this morning. And, uh, you know, one of my our favorite worship songs is You're a Good, Good Father. And I just thought to myself, I'm singing this as if I believe it. I wonder if my life reflects it. And it's really challenging. But I think Jesus is saying um, in, in this teaching that to take my word, to be someone who wants to follow me, is someone who listens to it, has the posture, has a willingness to be convicted and changed, and then puts it into practice. Jesus told a parable um, which is uh, relatively uh, well-known about the wise man who, who built their house upon the rock, and the wind and the rain came, and it stood firm. And I think often we're taught that that means trust Jesus. But if you just read the words of Jesus, he says, those who hear my word and put them into practice... That's the rock, living the way Jesus asked us to live and calls us to live and says, this is how you are designed to live. Hearing my word, hearing my teaching, then putting them into practice. That's what gives you that solid foundation in a changing world. So therefore, if you believe Jesus' message of good news, that he was the promised Messiah, that he came to proclaim the kingdom come, to die on a cross to remove us from our sins and rose to new life to bring new kingdom life now and forever. If it's what we believe, then he's saying, now put that into practice. And that's the last thing, I think, that Jesus is teaching about what it means to become fully awake to the Word of God. So as we begin 2022, maybe you have no plans to read the Bible. Maybe you have no plans that are particularly different from what you did last year, but I'll offer to you this morning, I think we do well to learn again from Jesus' own words about what it might take to wake up and read the Bible, engage with the Bible differently. Again, whether that's on your own or in your small groups or listening to us on on a Sunday morning or whatever teaching you might have offered to you. And as I prepared this, I actually thought Jesus has put these probably in a particular order. There's a sequence to this. The first thing is that receptive and noble heart who's willing to hear. The second stage, therefore, is the willingness to be convicted and challenged, lay our whole selves out, to make a place where we can be vulnerable with each other and safe with one another. And then thirdly, after that stage... It's how do we practice and live it out. And I think I wanted to give everyone permission to not be at that third stage this morning. Maybe the scripture, maybe faith, maybe Jesus is something you're struggling with and you're still in that trying to find that open posture, in which case you're so totally welcome here and we want to make it safe for you to explore that. Or maybe you think you've got that posture, but actually you're holding things back in your life that you don't particularly want Jesus to touch and his words to touch. Or maybe it is just a fresh call, that excitement, that vision of the Jesus life, the kingdom Jesus life, that you now in 2022 want to find new ways to live out and practice. But I think what Jesus is saying ultimately is if we do not have, we're not on this path, we don't have these three things, then we will continue to sleep through our reading and our teaching in 2022. Jesus spoke really powerfully to the religious leaders at the time and said, you search the scriptures for me, but you do not find me. How heartbreaking would it be for us to go through all our Bible teaching this year and never actually find Jesus there. So as I end kind of a teaching for this morning. I'm going to invite SP and the band here at Ballum back up and Zoe in Battersea. And if you're online, I'd invite you to transition to our a, a, a response in worship. But I'm going to close with a final practical idea um, for us maybe or you reading the Bible differently in 2022. This, this is a real gift. Um, it's a longer story I, I can't really share right now, but a gift the Lord gave me earlier last year. Um, it's completely changed the way I read the Gospels um, and I connect with Jesus as I read those stories. And it's a, a, a way of praying a bit more with our imagination and a- engaging into the stories. And it's a way of doing things that Christian author Amy Boucher-Pie, she speaks about it like this. When we prayerfully read the scriptures, she says, a shift happens between engaging a historical Jesus, the one on the page, with the risen Christ who is alive with us now. On the one moment, we ponder the man as we find him in the gospel story, and in the next, he comes alive in our presence as we converse with him. And what this practice does is simply changes the... um, I got this wrong earlier. I'm probably going to get it wrong again, so I won't try. But the, uh, the, the grammar of the story. So instead, instead of reading Jesus did this and Jesus did that, we're going to do it in a moment. Read it prayerfully and say, Jesus, you did this. And you said that. So all I'm going to do, no particular reason, but I'm just going to read Luke eight twenty-two to 25, which is the next three verses from what we've looked at this morning. And again, we're going to read it prayerfully in a way with Jesus rather than simply about him. So it will be on the screen, but I would invite you, if you would like, to, to close your eyes. It's up to you. I'm just going to read it slowly. One day, you said to your disciples, let us go to the other side of the lake. So you all got in the boat and set out. And as they sailed, you fell asleep. A storm came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and your disciples were in great danger. Your disciples went, and they woke you, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. But you got up. You rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? You asked your disciples. In fear and amazement, they wondered and asked one another, Who were you? Because even the winds and the water obeyed your command.